Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. On this episode of the Warriors 24-7 podcast, I'm joined by Javier Orlando Verde to break down the first two games of the Warriors and the Grizzlies playoff series. We'll dive deep into the Dylan Brooks club on Gary Payton II, Draymond Green's suspension, the Warriors shooting woes and turnovers, and how Clay needs to step up. But make sure you stay till the end of this episode because we brought on Oregon State University's head coach, Wayne Tinkle, who coached Gary Payton II in college to talk about the injury and how GP2 responded to him and told him that everything will be okay. All of that on this episode of the Warriors 24-7 podcast. Welcome back to another episode of the Warriors 24-7 podcast. Make sure to hit follow on wherever you listen to your podcast and hit follow on Twitter at Warriors24Pod and at Warriors247Pod for this specific Warriors podcast on the network. We're back at it again. He needs no introduction. Javier Orlando Verde, Brandon Cadiz here, bringing you another episode of the Warriors24-7 podcast. And since the last time we spoke, Javi, Memphis and Golden State have played two games all tied up at 1-1. Draymond Green has been ejected and fined. GP2 is injured. Dylan Brooks is out for Game 3. We have a lot to catch fans up on. And, of course, Game 3 is on Saturday, May 7th on ABC, 5.30 p.m., all tied up back in the city, Javi, at Chase Center. Chase Center is going to be rocking. I agree, Brandon. It's been very intense. First two games, there's a lot to break down. And so far, it's been a super physical series, Brandon. Super physical. We saw, of course, again, the Draymond Green ejection in game one, pulling on Brandon Clark's jersey. And then in game two, that's what we will lead off with in this show. But before we do that, Javi, let's just get your initial reaction there on game two, uh, how it ended. Would you have put a different defender there to close out on John Morant? I think wouldn't be a different defender because I don't think Steve Kerr has another Gary Payton level type of defender to stop uh, Moran, but I would have liked to see probably a zone defense and to, you know, to congest the driving lanes for Moran, but they just let it play as is. And then this time Moran did pay the Warriors for giving him a lot of 1v1 situations, Brendan. Yeah, all this bad bad blood and physicality dates back to the play-in tournament last season, and we've seen it be a close series all the way around. And for John Morant and how he's going to match up, how the Warriors should throw a different defense at him, we'll get into a little bit later. But before we do, we got to talk about our sponsor, Bet Online, as we do every single week. Huge part of this show. Our partners at Bet Online continue to be the number one source for all your betting needs and sports info. Find all the latest sports developments, including updated odds on the NBA and NHL playoffs, Major League Baseball fights, and even next season's NFL futures. And don't forget, this weekend, as the run to the Roses is on at the Kentucky Derby, Bet Online is your continued source for all your sports wagering needs, including live betting in your favorite Vegas casino and poker games. It's super easy to get started, so head to the website today or use your mobile device to join and use our promo code BELIEVE, B-L-E-A-V to receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet Online, where the game starts. And Javi, when we look at the updated odds here to win the NBA title, updated betting odds on betonline.ag, the Phoenix Suns now are the favorites to win it all at plus 200, the Warriors at plus 290 right behind them, and then tied for third and fourth, the Boston Celtics and the Miami Heat at plus 475. Miami Heat on the way to sweeping 
the Philadelphia 76ers. Your thoughts on their re- real quickly, Javi, on the East leading Miami Heat. Yeah, Brandon. So I agree with how the betting is so far um, in the East, especially, you know, we know Boston, second game, you know, victory with the Milwaukee Bucks. They're still in it for them. And towards the West, Suns, since Booker has came back from injury, seems like the Suns also have been clicking gears and they're so far have been controlling the Dallas Mavericks. And for Miami as well, they have done their homework, cover Philly well. We know Philly is without Embiid, but so far Miami has been solid so far, the way they have guarded James Harden, Brandon. Yeah, have to agree with their have to agree there with you, Javi, is what I meant to say. Uh, we got to get into the battle here and get into the hard-hitting news right to the beast of GP2. Three minutes into the game of game two, Draymond Green finds GP2 cutting to the lane and GP2 goes up. Dylan Brooks clubs him on his head, forcing him to the ground, injuring GP2's left elbow. We find out later on after an MRI the following day that he will miss at least three weeks with a left elbow fracture and he'll be reevaluated in two weeks. Yeah, unfortunate injury towards Gary Payton, Brandon. Um, you know, it's such a tough break. Uh, GP2, we will miss him. He's uh, such a key player, especially towards the defensive side. So, you know, we don't really have a guy that brings what GP does for our team. So he'll be such a huge loss. But as we keep saying, next man up, strength in numbers. The next guy should be coming up and provide that spark off the bench, Brandon. Yeah, and Gary Payton the second. Of course, Dylan Brooks took him down. We got word yesterday that Dylan Brooks would be suspended for game three after taking a couple of days to process hobby. Um a lot of people will say Dylan Brooks is a dirty player in the past. Um, I think he was just a flopper in the past, personally. I don't really remember any um, dirty plays or having that dirty reputation. But now with this play, the intent of Dylan Brooks going up, um, all the talk that he was talking about, Andre Iguodala leaving the Memphis Grizzlies, not wanting to play with them last season when he got traded. Um, what are your thoughts here on Dylan Brooks? Was it intentional? Was What was the intention behind it? Do you think he should have received more games off rather than just a one-game suspension? So for me, I think it's fair play to the NBA uh, with the one-game suspension. We have seen other uh, similar flagrant two fouls um, with the same penalties and repercussions like Dylan Brooks. The one that brings in mind and people always compare is the Grayson Allen club swing on Caruso and obviously injured Caruso and he got the one game suspension. So I could see why they pick one game. Um, I think other people feel it's not justifiable and it should be more, but the way the NBA called it, they brought up that other previous, you know, situation and that's how they called it. Uh, Personally for me, I think it should be a little bit more too, but just because he got thrown out early in that game, they count that as an actually another game. So I think that's how they view it. Now, Brandon, in terms of whether Brooks is dirty or not, or the intent of injuring Gary Payton, I do believe that when you come from behind, and I know NBA has an issue too with, especially in the playoffs with coaches having the rule of, no easy layup, Brandon. Mm-hmm. But when you go behind a player and take a full windup, not going for the ball and jumping, you do have to keep considering yourself that there's a possible chance of injuring player, especially if they're in midair. So oh, while wow. there's so much confusion, whether there was intent or not, you can't really deny that Brooks had to think about what he was doing. Yeah, 100% agree with you there. Um the fact of the matter is that he was talking all this talk before it even started. Memphis wanted to uh, come out with a really hard tone that they were going to play hard and make us a tough series in game two, especially after Brandon Clark uh, 
went down Draymond Green. They called that one a windup. A definition of a windup is someone swinging and trying to build momentum and going after it. I disagreed there with that game one uh, ejection of Draymond Green. Didn't look like he uh, did a windup there. The windup was evident, though, on that play with Gary Payton the second. And this was my hot take, though, Javi. You know, trying to add a little bit of a, a funny element to it. Not that the injury to GP2 was uh, any funny, but uh, Dylan Brooks has played probably horrible, I would say, for these first two, or the first game at least, uh, against the Golden State Warriors. So does this uh, suspension actually help Memphis as it t- takes Dylan uh, Brooks out of the contest? Because he shot out of this world in a bad way in that first game, and it helped the Warriors there in game one. Yeah, Brandon, so Dylan Brooks has been pretty terrible in this series, and so far the guy that actually has come through and performed pretty well, surprisingly, is Zaire Williams, the ex-Stanford player. Uh, Yeah. He's been averaging. And I got to give credit to you there, Javi. You called it out before the series started that he would be an X-factor, and he hit those back-to-back three-pointers in game two. Yeah, definitely a player to keep in mind uh, and a player that fits in today's modern game, a grade A athlete, enough skill sets to impact the team, Brandon. Yeah, and with Dylan Brooks out, do you just expect him to be the guy that comes in and takes those minutes away from Dylan Brooks, especially after a great performance like game two? What do you think uh, he can provide uh the shooting was there um do you think he'll continue that hot shooting arguably his best game of his young playoff career yeah Brandon so I agree I think for me personally Zaire is going to get the more minutes especially for game three now I just don't know if he will bring the same impact just because they're at away and Warriors are at home court advantage now so we'll see if he could bring it in but He's such an X factor. If he could provide the same thing he provided the first two games, then he's definitely going to impact the Memphis chances of possibly taking a game uh, away from Warriors. Yeah, young rookies typically struggle in playoff games on the road. We saw the impact that the road games had on Jordan Poole in games three and four in Denver in round one. Moving over to the stats, though, and the impact that will be missing with GP2, he was the primary defender on John Morant uh, in this series. So a total of four minutes and 21 seconds played in the two games against John Morant. Only five points scored against GP2 in those four minutes and 21 seconds. John Morant, 33% on two of six shooting, one for two uh, uh, from beyond the arc, and one turnover and one block. That's a really small sample size. We take it to an even bigger sample size in the regular season. GP2 on John Morant forced John Morant to only shoot 16% hobby from the field. 16%. That's not a typo. Two of 12 with only seven points, forcing five turnovers and getting a block on John. And he was 0 for 3 from beyond the arc. So with the impact missing here on GP2, I think the guy that's going to need to step up is Andrew Wiggins. Andrew Wiggins has been the primary defender against John Morant in the regular season two. He was the second guy to defend John Morant the most on this Warriors squad, right behind Gary Payton the second. Yeah, Brandon. So GP2 will be missed, definitely. Um, And what they're missing is such an elite 1v1 defender, on-the-ball defender, but then he's also an elite off-the-ball help defender. So just like in game one win where Clay came in, switched over for that defensive play to win the game, you know, the guy that was behind Clay that helped him was Gary Payton. And you could say that his his impact there helped as well, preventing that layup to go in. So yeah, don't be missed, GP2. Uh Wiggins is also a very interesting pick as well to have him defend. Moran, he has the length, the strength, and has some speed, add movement to be able to stay in front of G- in front of John Moran, Brandon. Yeah, and I think the concern is here, if you put Andrew Wiggins as the primary defender on John Moran, he's been doing the dirty work, being the leading rebounder there, 
in the first series against the Denver Nuggets. And then also last game, Andrew Wiggins had a good amount of rebounds there as well. So if you force him to uh, guard a guy like Jaw, that's very shifty, that will really take your energy and effort out on the defensive side. Will there be enough offensive effort for Andrew Wiggins on that side? So if you put Wiggins on Moran, you're initially putting Wiggins more on the perimeter. So he won't impact you as much as clogging the lane, getting those rebounds. Um, And so that's a little issue that could be possibly a problem for the Warriors since Wiggins leads the team in rebounds. But then I wonder if Kerr possibly goes with that. And he probably plays more Porter Jr., who's been also another, he's been one of our top rebounder guys. So who knows, possibly, you know, Porter plays a little bit more minutes uh, with GP out of the lineup is also a big question mark. Yeah, and we saw limited minutes and action of Kevon Looney coming into this series, and I think they need more of that big man in Kevon Looney because Looney, I think, if I'm reading this correctly, has only uh, played or has only missed one shot so far in this playoffs in his limited m- minute. Um, not in this playoffs, but in this series against the Memphis Grizzlies. So Kevon Looney saw a little bit of run there. We also saw Jonathan Kaminga, who provided great bursts in game one and game two. And for the fans wondering where is Bielitsa, he Steve Kerr yesterday in the press conference also has not ruled out Bielitsa returning. Will it be this series? Will it be the next one if the Warriors move on? Who knows? But out of those two guys in Kevon Looney and Jonathan Kaminga, I think we can really try to point out which guy that Steve Kerr would use. And it's about trusting the rookie in the regular season, gaining the trust. And Jonathan Kaminga having these bursts in the first game one and two, a lot of Warriors fans want him in game three because of those impactful minutes he has provided off the bench. Yes, Brandon. So both are good solutions, Looney and Kaminga. Uh, I know a lot of people want to see Kaminga. And and I actually think that he does match up pretty good physically versus Memphis. Uh, Looney is not the same athlete, but positionally he does provide a lot of benefits. And you're right, Looney in game one, I believe there's a lot of good connections between him and Poole running pick and rolls. Um and Looney attacking the basket. So it'll be interesting to see uh, who gets to play more in game three, but also coming to game two look pretty solid as well. So you can't go wrong with none of the two. Yeah. And, in terms of defending John Moran, I don't think it'll be Jonathan Kaminga or Andrew Wiggins slowly or solely himself. It's going to be a team effort, just like you mentioned, Javi, at the end of game one. They had GP2 on him. Clay Thompson was there on the backside. Curry there uh, to try to help recover throughout the game, too. And Curry had those big time, uh, du- almost a double block there in game one to stuff John. John got, a, got his revenge, of course, in game two. So for game two, we saw... Uh, John Morant just go off, Javi. He scored 18 points in the fourth quarter, the most of any Grizzlies player in the fourth quarter of a playoff game. And Morant scored the final 13 points, including that game winner, with one second remaining. 34 points in game one on 31 shot attempts, 14 of 31. And in game two, 15 of 31 for 47 points, eight rebounds, and eight assists. They dared him to shoot it from the three-point line so far, and Javi, he's nearing 40% from beyond that line. So if you try the box and one him here, um, you force that issue of him being able to give it up to Jaron Jackson Jr., but I think that changes. Um, If Steven Adams returns, he was cleared yesterday to practice after COVID protocols, and he was the NBA's leading offensive rebounder and offensive rebounding percentage in the league. So if he returns, do the Warriors still go box in one? Do they go with a triangle in two? What do you think they change defensively here in game number three? For game three, it would pretty much depend if Steven Adams play. Um, you know, in this series, surprisingly, the Warriors actually are out-rebounding the Memphis Grizzlies to to our surprise. 
And Steven Adams quickly fixes that issue for Memphis Grizzlies if they want to use him. Uh, like you said, he he leaded the NBA in offensive rebounds. So he provides a big issue towards the Warriors on the paint. But I'd say if Steven Adams isn't playing in game three, then I'll try boxing one. Um, you know, I think Kerr said that there's a lot of different ways they could run defensive schemes in game three. Um, and I think we probably will see a mix between zone defending, regular 1v1, possibly even boxing one, Brandon, towards game three. I think they're definitely not going to make it as easy as was the first two games for John Morant. Yeah, that's a great point. And I think a key a key recipe here in order for the Warriors to come out and feel comfortable, you're at home here at Chase Center. Uh, you've always been down in this game until late on when they have had a comeback and taken the lead for a few minutes. And the Warriors in game one, they were down. In game two, they were down to get up to the lead, feel comfortable, and be able to attack Memphis like the way you want to attack them. Don't let Memphis get up to that lead and you catching up and having to play to the pace for the Memphis Grizzlies. Would you agree with that, Javi? It seems like the Warriors have always been down in game one and two. Yeah, I agree, Brandon. Especially at home court advantage, we tend to notice that role players, um, bench players, do step up when they play at home. So just the way Zaire Williams has been great for Memphis Grizzlies. We do expect some of our bench guys to step it up for the next game, Brandon. And um, there's a lot of different ways some of the other guys could impact. But I agree with you. I think they're going to be more comfortable with the home crowd. And I, I do think we're waiting for a Clay Thompson good performance. And I I think we could foreshadow that Clay is going to have a pretty good game, game three, Brandon. Yeah, Clay Thompson here just looking at his numbers so far in this playoffs has struggled 11 for 38 total 28% from the field and five of 22 for 22%. Again, we've always said that, Hey, the Warriors haven't played great yet. They arguably have not played great since game three of round one against the Denver Nuggets. Warriors shot 18% from three, the last game and committed 18 total turnovers from four members of their core four, five from Steph Curry, four for Green, and three apiece for Jordan Poole and Andrew Wiggins. And I can, those were bad turnovers um, going off the foot, driving into the lane at crucial moments. But also, Draymond Green yesterday on his podcast, the Draymond Green Show on the Volume Sports, said that there is a thing that he likes to call shot, tor- shot turnovers, and that's forcing really bad shots and giving it up basically an automatic miss for Memphis to start running into transition. And we saw a lot of um, fadeaway shots there um, for Clay Thompson. Yeah, Brandon. So the first two games, I think do think that Clay has been forcing his shots. He does not look very in control. Um, his releases were not good. I'm not sure if that's whether it was Memphis defense, which they've been pretty solid physically in this series. But the other thing I think we don't really know, Brandon, is um, who's going to be the officiating crew for game three. And now with the uh, suspension suspension of Dillian Brooks, are they going to be very extreme, the officials of calling very soft tic-tac fouls and try to smooth out the series? That's another big question that, that might play a big role towards the whole entire series, Brendan. Yeah, agree with you there. And yesterday, too, on the show, the Draymond Green show, um, Draymond said that, again, with those turnovers being an issue there, Javi, but ultimately, too, at the end, um, how do you see Clay Thompson bouncing back here? We saw him... Uh, Whenever he struggled in the regular season, he's been able to get out of that slump and perform especially well at home. How do you think the crowd at Chase Center helps impact his shooting? Definitely, you're going to have less distractions, Brandon. Um, You're not going to be booed. You're not going to have people yelling at you when you're shooting. Um, So 
Clay is definitely going to be more comfortable in his own. Um, and I think, you know, the it's going to flip, Brandon. Now the pressure is on Memphis. They lost one. And just all the Warriors have to do is take care of the home court advantage and then just worry about game five. Agree with you there, Javi. And uh, going back to the strategy of are they just going to let John Morant cook? That's what happened there in games one and two, and arguably in game two for Memphis and looking at their side um, of game two, Darren Jackson Jr. again shot the ball horribly in game one. We knew that he wasn't going to have that repeat performance. So depending on if Darren Jackson Jr. starts or if they roll out and play Steven Adams, do you think it will be a Draymond Green still small ball rotation and try to play it either, or if it doesn't matter, if either Steven Adams or Jaron Jackson returns into the game, do you think they still go small with Draymond Green? Or do you think Kevon Looney comes in, especially if Steven Adams is in, to help with that rebounding margin? So if Steven Adams play and starts, I do believe that Looney will either start or come in anytime when Adams will play. But if Adams isn't playing, then I do think Curtis is going to roll up with the small ball lineup. Um, I think they still feel comfortable and confident they could still win this series with that small ball lineup. And as we discussed, I think it's just a matter of fact of Clay making his shots. He's that third score they need to make up the shot. If he if he got it going in game two, Brandon, I think they would have won that game two. But, you know, whenever Clay, Poole, and Curry are making their shots and their threes, then there isn't really good defensive team that can stop the three of them, Brett. And that's an interesting part, too. I heard before back with uh, Manu Ginobili coming off the bench and going back to Popovich in his old days, he wanted uh, to go with a three-guard lineup initially, but he mentioned that it takes quite a bit for um, three guards to start hitting and shooting at the right moment. That's why Manu eventually came off the bench. So do you think Jordan Poole comes into the starting lineup now with Gary Payton the second out, or should he come off the bench with that second unit? I believe Clay fits in better playing with Curry. So I, I'd still start Clay and have Poole come off the bench. Um, but I think, yeah, I think just Clay needs to get going. And whenever he does get going, then I just don't think Memphis has enough to contain all three of them. They all make their shots. Um, but I, I still think Kerr would probably start Clay over Poole still. Yeah, I agree with you there 100%. I think we saw it in the regular season where Kerr was confident in Clay being able to take the right shots and not, not force it. And that's going to be a key factor to deciding who wins game three. If Clay's able to just get back into the routine, not start to force those shots up and start pressing because those shot turnovers, again, that Draymond likes to call, are was what crucial in game two and causing uh, the Warriors to give Memphis more of the possession. And if Steven Adams returns, he is going to be the boxing him out and not getting those offensive rebounds and getting more possessions for John Morant, because the one way you can stop John Morant is by limiting those possessions. And I think we mentioned earlier, if we're going to go box in one or a triangle in two, I want to see more double teams on John Morant when he has the ball in his hands and force other guys to play make it. Uh, we saw a little bit of that to close out game two, Javi, and it worked a little bit. But also here in game number three, uh, what I want to see is pick and roll action between uh, Draymond Green and Steph Curry really forced John Morant to defend. And we saw that in the Phoenix and the Mavericks series, Javi. We talked off air a little bit there at uh, them going after Luka Doncic, who really isn't that great of a defender. They should do the same to John Morant. Yeah, Brandon. So I noticed two key things will be interesting to consider for game three. Uh, one is, like you said, uh, play a sun strategy of going on Morant. And if you look at this Memphis team outside of Morant and you judge it based upon the regular season, 
their second most trusted guy to score is either between um, Baines, Desmond Baines, Mm -hmm. or Jaron Jackson Jr. And uh, we already heard confirmation that Desmond Baines has been struggling in this series with back injury, back spasms, and we're not sure where he fits in health-wise. But we have noticed that Baines has not been that guy for Memphis this series yet. So it'll be interesting, but I do want to see them roll the dice and see if they can make Morant turn the ball away and have either Jackson or Baines punish us for leaving them open. Javi, you mentioned two reasons of trying to stop John Morant. The second one here, we'll get your insight here. Uh, We saw it with Nikola Jokic uh, in the first round series, and we saw it. Um, again, as I mentioned in that Phoenix-Dallas game of attacking the weakest defender of Luka Doncic. So how will they attack John Morant? I believe um, we saw a little bit of it. It's just the Memphis have also been doing a good job of protecting Morant. But Morant isn't a good one-on-one defender. You know, he's might be their weakest link in terms of defense. I can possibly see the Warriors trying to isolate Moran and find him as a mismatch, how they did with Jokic in the first series. And we've seen it, Brandon, a little bit. You know, we've seen Wiggins post up Moran. Uh, but, you know, hopefully we'll see a little bit more of that. And I think that could play a role in terms of foul trouble if they do roll with that in game three, Brandon. Yeah, again, Sean Moran nearly getting 40 points per game in this series, which is absolutely wild for John Moran. Of course, winning most improved player was in talks of getting that MVP award. And look at what he's been doing now. Absolutely insane so far in these playoffs, Javi. Um, A couple last things to close it out. Uh, Draymond Green, of course, uh, was also fined $25,000 after he got elbowed in the face by Xavier Tillman in game two as he walked off the court through the double birds at the fines. And, you know, right after that game, he said, I'm ready to pay 25K. I can make that back after an appearance. And he elaborated on that on his show, on the podcast, the Draymond Green show. And Draymond said that, hey, if you're going to boo someone, if you're going to boo someone that's injured, he could have been concussed. And that's why he did it. He said it felt good. Your thoughts on that for Draymond Green? He's definitely going to come out with an edge and uh, play to the home crowd at Chase on Saturday. Yeah, so definitely he doesn't have to worry about the Memphis fans, but Draymond, he could do what he wants. Um, He's a genuine character. Um, You know, he does what he wants. And I think I agree um, with his take. He definitely brought up KD as well when KD tore his Achilles at Toronto and all the Toronto fans were clapping and celebrating with KD's injury, you know, there's a certain degree and code, Brandon, that we don't really talk about, but, you know, wishing a player's health is not a good thing for the fans. You know, we should respect the players, uh, even if it's players from the opposing team, you know, if Moran goes out injured, we shouldn't be clapping because he goes injured but there should be a code between fans and the players, Brandon. Yeah, agree with you there 100%. Again, Draymond, like you said, brought up the KD injury. That one was uncalled for. And yesterday, or not yesterday, but the last time out too, when Draymond Green came out, uh, Tom Izzo was also at the game there. His coach at Michigan State got to see the guys, Jaron Jackson Jr., Xavier Tillman, who elbowed Draymond Green uh, coincidentally there. Um, all those Michigan State Spartans. And two more things, Javi, um, to close out this show. Uh, Memphis fans and Memphis media going at it with the Warriors media here on Twitter making grounds and saying that, hey, if they're going to suspend Dylan Brooks where Memphis fans and media believe he shouldn't have been suspended, they were trying to suspend Jordan Poole. And I don't know if you saw the video, but Jordan Poole stepped onto the court as – Gary Payton the second went down and by definition of the NBA rule book that only applies to altercations or fights. We saw that back in 07, 08, Amari Stoudemire was fined after he came on the court trying to defend 
his teammate Steve Nash getting clubbed by Robert Ori back then. But this was different. He was just looking um, at his teammate GP2 falling to the ground, trying to help him up. Did not start anything. So your thoughts on that whole incident? So, yeah, I did notice that he stepped on the court. Now, I don't really recall if they if the officials blew the, the whistle right away, and that's considered a dead play. And I do believe you're allowed to get inside the court if does that happen. So I do need to take a good replay to see if that had occurred. But, you know, just going off that, Brandon, I don't think nothing's going to happen just because it's a day before the game. And if they were going to make a call for any suspensions, it would have been today which or yesterday, which they announced for Dillian Brooks' suspension, Brandon. Yeah, I agree with you there 100%. Um, just proves that Memphis fans were delusional there. Clearly, that is a different factor there. Um, it was a day and a half. Um, if we throw it back to the 2016 NBA Finals, Draymond Green was announced that he was going to be suspended, um, you know, after that whole thing with LeBron James, only a day and a half before the game, of course, less than a day or a little bit, actually about the day and a half moment here as we look into uh, the Saturday 5.30 tip-off. But to close it out, Javi, the Warriors have played without Andre Iguodala for the majority of the regular season, and he was injured there in game four against the Denver Nuggets. He will. He has been ruled out of the series um, by Warriors PR yesterday with that uh, disc injury on his neck. The Warriors have played with him again, of course, without him th- for the majority of the season. I don't think this really affects him here. The Warriors have been able to supplement guys like GP2, Kaminga, and Moody throughout the regular season. But now they're short Iguodala and GP2, who was their best defender. So this hurts a little bit more, especially if they were expecting Andre Iguodala back. Yeah, Brandon. So Iguodala this season for me has not played a lot. And during those few times, he has been pretty decent. But we can't deny it. I think they attempted to bring him back mostly for the mentorship and what he provides in leadership on the locker room. I don't think they had high expectations, but they did have some expectation possibly of just making sure he's fine all the way to the postseason. He could contribute to some degrees. But I don't think the Warriors ever had Iguodala to be, you know, an X-Factor player, a big rotational player. Uh, you know, I don't think Warriors fan expected him to be the 2015 NBA Finals Iguodala. Uh, but I think they should be fine. They have a lot of more depth and players that they come in uh, for GP and Iguodala. Yeah. 100% agree with you there. Um, we've talked off there too, and there's been some talks here. How will the Warriors retaliate? Steve Kerr, of course, said yesterday at the press conference, or he was on uh, Damon and Rado on 95.7 The Game and initially said, hey, they're not going to retaliate. Of course, he's not going to say it publicly. But again, discussing it, JTA has been the fallback guy that Warriors fans have said, hey, if they were to do something, Juan Toscano Anderson is going to come in. But I'm also bringing him, up, bringing him up for another reason. We saw what he did in that season where Steph Curry and Draymond Green were out. And JTA played really good there in that play-in tournament. So uh, JTA defensively now, uh, we saw a good amount of him at practice yesterday, actually, for the Warriors. So your thoughts on JTA being an enforcer, but also being a key defender now in this series? Yeah, so JTA is interesting. Uh, he plays kind of similar to Draymond, a little bit of, you know, pass-first mentality guy, backdoor cuts, um, plays good defense as well. Um, and he also can be an enforcer. Uh, like I said, I don't know how the officials will officiate game three. Um, if the official in the NBA think that it's fine being physical, then I wouldn't be surprised if JTA does come in to enforce some stuff. Um, and I think, you know, the Warriors will be more physical towards John Moran. Um, I don't think they they will be dirty or have an intent to hurting him. I do think they'll make sure that he feels contact when he's attacking the rim. And, um, but that, then again, Brandon, that just depends how the officials officiate in three. If the officials call easy fouls, soft fouls right off the gate for game three, then, you know, I, I don't think we will see another 
this be a physical series, they probably smooth out the series if they call those fouls early on, Brandon. Yeah, well, you you want to, you know, as a Warriors fan, you're like, hey, you want a little bit of that revenge, but the Warriors have the eye on the prize, and that's to get to the NBA Finals. They don't want to put other players in jeopardy. Say they go after one of the Memphis players. Who knows if Memphis is going to come back and make it that type of game, um, throwing it back to the bully ball days way back when and the bad boys of the Detroit Pistons. We don't want that to happen here in this series. So it's going to be key here in game three. Can the Warriors push it? And take home court advantage now as they swing games three and four here in the city in Chase Center. Here is our interview with head coach Wayne Tinkle of the Oregon State University Beavers men's basketball team. I'm here joined by head coach Wayne Tinkle of the Oregon State men's basketball team for a special episode of the Warriors 24-7 podcast. Um, of course, great resume here by Coach Wayne Tinkle, most recently the Elite Eight in the 2020-2021 season, and of course, making the tournament in the 15-16 season. Coach, thanks for joining us. Had to have you here on the episode to talk about Gary Payton II, who you coached in the 2014-2015 season. Let's dive right into it. Um, where were you when you saw that injury to GP2? on Dylan Brooks clubbing him and what was your initial reaction when you first saw it? Well, actually I was, I was in Phoenix at the PAC 12 meetings um, and had some texts from some friends, uh, you know, about the, you know, what used to be called the civil war, you know, rivalry and that it still exists. And I wasn't sure I said, you will explain what happened. And, and so it was kind of explained um, in a little bit of a biased um, opinion. And then when I was able to see the video the next morning, uh, the highlight, you know, it, it was really tough to see him take that fall, um, you know, and, and, and at first, you know, you thought it was just two guys looking to make a play, just hustling to make a play. And I think in, in Dylan's defense, he was just trying to hustle to make a play and then got caught out of position and in a bad position. Um, and then that contact to, you know, GP's head, unfortunately caused him to, be in a situation where he couldn't land on his feet and he landed, the elbow took the brunt of the fall, um, causing, causing the injury that obviously uh, was very upsetting to see. So very, very unfortunate. Um, I've texted with GP too, um, tell him we're sending, we're sending love. And he's like, big fella, I'm going to be good. I'll be back, which isn't a surprise to hear because that's his personality and his philosophy. He's always going to bounce back. Uh, the kid, the kid has, he's proven everybody wrong and keeps coming for more. So tough to see, especially at this moment. And, and, and then the impact he had with that squad um, was, was a tough deal for sure. Yeah. And you talked about him being able to bounce back quickly, being very optimistic. He's that gritty player that we've all come to love here as a, a Golden State Warriors fan base. Um, you talk about bringing those type of guys that, um, that are very underrated, like GP2, to the program. Um, when you first recruited him out of Salt Lake City, what impressed you the most? I know initially that he was brought on by um, Greg Robinson before before you came on. Yeah. So I, I was actually recruiting him as a freshman when I was at Montana. Mm-hmm. And the, the biggest impression, we, you know, obviously we saw his intensity and his athleticism. He was the first guy after the workout to come over and say, thanks a lot for coming to watch us. He didn't say me. He said, watch us, you know, and I think he appreciated coaches came to Salt Lake Community College and saw him, but then also what that meant to his teammates, whether we were recruiting them or not, they were playing in front of division one coaches told me a lot about his character. And so we continued to recruit him through that process. And then, you know, it looked like he was set to maybe go to a higher level. Um, and then when we got the job uh, in May of, of 2014, we were delighted that he was one of the players that had signed for the next season. And so our first order of business after the meet and greet and the press conference was to get him on the phone. And he said, Coach, don't waste your time talking to me. You know, I, I, I'm a beaver and, and I'm excited for what we're going to do there. So uh, it was really pretty seamless, um, you know, that process, and it allowed us to move forward and focus on on what we had, you know, in, in, in other directions. And then 
but just when he showed up on campus, just had a, an electric personality. Um, the, the the players attracted to him right away because he wasn't a me guy. Um, his his effort, his leadership was, was great. That first year, what strikes me is is we had to play a very methodical pace, and that's not necessarily what he likes. But we had to to give ourselves a chance to win because we didn't have much depth. We really only had seven scholarship players and, and a handful of walk-ons. And he bought into it, and he knew that's what it was going to take to give us the best chance to win. And if we didn't have that buy-in from him, things would have been differently. And then the next year when we brought in our first recruiting class, very talented freshman group, he was an incredible leader for that crew. You know, he knew that we were going to need them to be as good as we, we thought we could be down, down the road. And so moments when I, w- I was really hard on that young group, knowing that we needed to bring them along quickly, he was quick with an arm around him, a pat on the butt, words of encouragement, where, you know, a senior didn't necessarily need to, to be that way towards this big group of freshmen. But it was huge in our growth, and it led to us getting to the NCAA tournament at Oregon State for the first time in 26 years, and it was all due to, well, we had some talent, but the leadership that he provided. Yeah, that's great to hear that leadership there, almost like a quarterback in the NFL, getting that backup rookie to come in and taking him under his wing. Um, it just speaks to the um, the relentlessness of GP2 not giving up on his NBA career as well. He's had to buy into the Warriors system initially coming off the bench and then being a key factor here. Um, after he graduated, of course, being undrafted, um, you followed his career throughout Um what was that moment for you like as his head coach when he finally got that guaranteed contract in the NBA with the Warriors this season? So happy, so happy. We exchanged some texts and just his pursuit and, and his trust in the process. And, and early on when scouts would call, you know, and, and you know, there was concern about ball handling or shooting. And, and our point was always you should be focused on all the things he can do you know, and, and he'll get better because of his work ethic at those other things. Um, but he never lost focus. And, you know, from the G League, different G League teams to some 10 days back to the G League, he he believed in himself. Obviously, he's got great family around him that, that kept, you know, helped to motivate. But when I saw that and we saw that the impact he had, it was like we kept saying there's the right team for him and it'll happen. And for the Warriors, obviously a very, very successful, um, can't call them program, um, but organization, um, to see that and give him that opportunity. And then to see him really relish in it and was was just, man, it's a great lesson for us to tell our guys. You know, there are a lot of different ways to make it, but if you continue to stay true to yourself, keep working hard, you can make things happen. And so – Obviously, we're just we couldn't be more thrilled for him. What was it like coaching him, knowing how his dad was a great NBA player, um, not having to worry too much on the basketball side? You yourself had your son on the Oregon State team as well, being that parent. What was it like just having someone that you didn't have to necessarily worry about um, on the intangible side? It was great. I mean, his his IQ was the first thing that that really jumped off the page uh, for us, and we. We do some intricate stuff defensively. We played a lot of zone. And to his credit, he was back-to-back defensive MVP, you know, in the Pac-12. And and that doesn't happen a lot, but he was so disruptive. And then we played a fair amount of man as well. But those intangibles like you talked about, his like somebody would make a mistake and GP2 would be there to correct it in an instant on either end. Um, there were games where – Maybe offensively, his contribution was moving the ball, but what he did on the offensive glass and on the defensive end were crucial in us getting the win. And you see him making those plays now, whether it's a tip out on an offensive rebound, on a free throw, you know, getting extra possessions defensively, uh, just an incredible awareness, uh, anticipation skills. Um, You know, his athleticism makes, allows him to make some incredible plays at the rim um, that people see offensively, but defensive, uh, changing shots, contesting shots, getting steals, um, just his awareness out on the floor. And obviously, 
you know, his father was an incredible player. Uh, it was great when dad showed up to those games here in Gill Coliseum because the, um, the electricity in the building just was, was amplified. Um, but to see that relationship, to see his relationship with his siblings, with his mother, um, that's what we're all about, family here. And, and it was great having that family kind of set the tone for the things, you know, that we've been able to do here at Oregon State as well. I know you have a couple more minutes here, Coach. So I wanted to get your prediction here, a little bit of analysis on your side with uh, GP2 out and you catching a little bit of, of the playoffs. How do the Warriors um, try to combat this uh, tough, gritty Memphis team? Yeah, I mean, they, they, they're, they're, they're a young, you know, and, and, and up-and-coming uh, team that's had some success, obviously. Um, hopefully, and I don't, I don't get to watch a whole bunch. I mean, we're knee-deep in recruiting right now, yeah. but hopefully Iguodala can come back. As, I don't know if he's been cleared or not, but maybe can can give some of that spark, you know, that that they'll miss when GP's out. But they're such a veteran crew. Obviously, we're familiar with Clay Thompson being a Pac-12 guy. Um, his agent, Greg Lawrence, we have a relationship. So uh, people try to pin me down on my team. And uh, it would have to be it would have to be the dub just because our proximity and then our familiarity with their players, especially now that GP two's there. So I think their veteran play um, will win out, but it's going to be uh, continue to be uh, an electrifying series for sure. Well, thanks Wayne. We appreciate your time here today, getting to talk GP two and good luck for this upcoming season and looking forward to seeing who you bring on to your team this season. Yeah. Thanks a lot. Good to be with you and all the best to you guys and the Warriors. Thanks Wayne. You bet. That's a wrap on this episode of the Warriors 24-7 podcast. We'll be bringing you another episode next week. And hopefully by then, the Warriors are up 3-1 as they head to Game 5 in Memphis. Again, thanks for tuning in. Make sure to hit subscribe on wherever you listen to your podcast. And make sure to follow us on Twitter at Warriors247Pod and the network at Warriors24Pod. I'm Brandon Cadiz. Follow me on Twitter at B. Cadiz Zero. Thanks to head coach Wayne Tinkle for joining the show and of course Javier Lando Verde. Until next time, this show is presented by Bet Online. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B L E A V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.